Welcome to the Discipleship Discussions podcast. We believe everyone can be a disciple who makes disciples. Our goal is to help you with this process. Each week, we take the lesson taught through basic discipleship and break it down in a discussion format. Now, let's join today's discussion. Hey, welcome back to our podcast. My name is Benji Linder. With me, as always, is Dr. Patrick Latham. Today's topic is translation. Now, you have a pretty unique background when thinking about translation and the KJV-only folks um, because you, you kind of have an affinity there. So take us through the how you know them and connections. Give us a little brief overview in context of what we're going to talk about. Yeah, today. I, I grew up... Um, Churches I was a part of, you know, off and on throughout kind of childhood and growing up, never been around King James onlyism, and then attended a Christian college. It was King James only, and so was actually took a, a class there in college on history of the English Bible. So um, and then learned the ins and outs of the whole debate, you know, and from a more, um, I guess you'd say a more academic background. So a lot of people that don't know all the issues involved assume that most King James only people are just like fighting over words or, you know, and I hear all the jokes, you know, like if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me, you know. And so some of those jokes, you know, I understand where people come from, but I think you know, it shows they don't understand all the issues, you know, and so there's a lot of stereotypes out there. So um, but it was good for me to go through this. And to learn what the real issues and the real concerns are for people that have more of an educated side, um, an educated approach to this argument. So I'd say I was in a group who held to, they would say, the text is the issue. So their approach was, okay, English translations come, English translations we have come from one or two one of two Greek um, compilations of the New Testament. You have the Textus Receptus that Erasmus put together, and then you have the critical text. So it's true that really the only English translation that is translated from the Textus Receptus would be the King James Version. So I was in a group that said the text is the issue, the translation is important, but the text is really the problem for us. Yeah. And so then they would look at the critical text where you have all these verses that are missing. Um, you have verses that are different. You have um, many times um, names for God or Jesus that are removed. And so they would say, okay, if you've got these two these two text you could translate your New Testament from. And one of them removes like Christ, Son of God, a lot. And one of them removes a lot of passages. Their conclusion would be based on that logic, also based on the history of how these Greek texts were put together, their conclusion would be this one, this new one's got to be the inferior Greek text. Yeah, and that's a unique approach. Um, I'm grateful you explained that. I think before you and I had conversations, my viewpoint was they're KJV, KJV only because 
just loving that, you know, thinking that's yeah, the only. Yeah, no, but all. Uh, going back to that, uh, no, they definitely, was, definitely yeah, love yeah, it. Yeah, but that, that I thought that was the only yeah. reason, but not at all. Like yeah. that's part of it. Um, but it goes back to the Texas Receptus. Now, I'll say this: in the average church, and every church I've pastored, Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, never pastored an independent Baptist church that would King James only preached in some of them, but. Um, always got a few people who are King James only. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, Bible study I'm leading right now on Wednesday night, there's somebody in there. Well, I'm reading King James. You know, he's told me that's his translation. He's not as dogmatic as some will be. Um, first church I ever served in, there was a lady who's King James only. And if you quoted from another translation, she'd find some word she didn't like, and she felt the modern translation had perverted, twisted, skewed the Word of God. Right. Example, the fruits of the Spirit. What's the last fruit of the Spirit? Do you know? Put you on the spot. How do I got to sing the song? <laughs> Self-control. Self-control. Do you need a... I almost did, but like if I would have had a two or three Give me some background music for it. So King James, you know what it translates that as? Like sober-minded or... Temperance. Temperance, okay. Yeah. So this lady in my church would say, first church I served... The pastor, I was on staff, the pastor, he preached on the fruits of the Spirit, and he talked about self-control. That's so ungodly. We don't have self-control as Christians. We have spirit control. These modern perversions. Look, the King James says temperance. It uses the word God wanted us to use. So it's like, wow, okay. You know, so here's my point in all that. A lot of your lay people in your churches, they're caught up on semantics, words. And here's what I've wanted to say sometimes is, God is cool with us using a synonym. Chill out. Right. All right. Right. You know, it's all right. God did not inspire, though some people think he did. God did not inspire uh, the King James Bible. He inspired the apostles, the prophets, as they wrote the original manuscripts. And we had copies of those to understand in our language. We have to translate that. Mm -hmm. So hopefully translators pray like what word would be best. That's why we have Bible study. Like if we want to dig in and say, okay, what would, would be best here? And, and you know, even in that example with self-control, hopefully somebody studies there and says, the Spirit is producing what appears to man to be self-control. I mean, why can't we use this word self-control that we all understand? Right. God's not in heaven like, oh my goodness, they missed it on how to translate it. My word has been right. corrupted and perverted. So Yeah, and I'm sure there's... A plethora of examples like that of the differences. So shifting gears a little bit, you brought this up in your teaching session, and I think is really good because the average person may not know this, uh, but there is a group out of out there, and I think I'm saying this right: uh, the fundamental Baptist extremists who believe you cannot be saved unless you're saved from the KJV. And you gave yeah. an example there of like on the mission field or another country. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that's not. In the notes, that's not their official title. That's yeah. what I call them. Okay, I, I put caps extreme. on everything. <laughs> made it official. Yeah, if you've started, a if you started a movement, is that what you want to call it? We're the, <laughs> we're the FBE, the <laughs> Fundamental Baptist Extremists. I put caps on all of it, so it's, <laughs> <laughs> I made it official. Yeah, that's right. No, that's cool. No, um, so that's just what I called it. Because yeah, it's you have a movement called the IFB movement, Independent Fundamental Baptist Movement. Mm -hmm. So then within that, you have all types of different variations. You know, there's great folks in the IFB movement who we'd be really on the same page with, we'd really respect and love. There's some that we'd say, okay, man, they're really gospel-centered. They love the Word of God, got some different convictions on some mm -hmm. things. You know, maybe we're not like 
totally jihad here, but pray for them. Lord, bless them. Lord, use them. You've got some within that camp. The others within the camp would be embarrassed of, right? right. Exactly. So you have um, some that hold um, to to what it, we would call double inspiration. So they believe that God inspired Scripture when it was written in the when the original autographs mm-hmm. were written in the original language. Got Second Timothy three sixteen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So then they they make the jump to say. For us to get Scripture in our language, God has to oversee a process of inspiring it again so that we make sure we get the Word of God. And so they would claim that he did that with the King James Bible. They actually have a verse they use for that, uh, the psalm that says your word, that speaks of the Word of God being pure, mm-hmm. purified in an earthen vessel seven times. There's some that would even take that and say there were seven revisions of the King James Version after it first came out. The seventh is the one we use. After the seventh, it's been purified and it's ready to use. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so very interesting. So um, so there's that view, double inspiration. So they would say that I don't have the Word of God because I don't have an inspired Bible, mm-hmm. that theirs has been inspired. And they go into all types of history and background trying to prop up this view, double inspiration. So with that, they would say, if you find a new tribe or people speaking another language that they don't have a Bible in their language, that it's perhaps justifiable to teach these people English and have them read the King James Bible so that they can have a Bible that's fully inspired. There's actually a clip on YouTube of a guy where they ask him, he holds this view Mm -hmm. where they ask him, you know, so you're saying if you went to Russia... The people in Russia wanted to really have the Word of God, that they would need to learn English and then read the King James Bible. And his response is, yes. <laughs> so that's a totally crazy, totally extreme view, right. right? So we don't want to characterize everybody. By, this is not what we want to do in this podcast. Everybody who may be, hey, King James is my translation, we don't want to characterize them like right. that. This is a really extreme view. There's right. great people out there who greatly love the Lord, who have the King James as their preference or even have a conviction about it. So we want to be careful we don't have that extreme view. Mm -hmm. With that double inspiration view, there's actually some who would say you can't be converted Mm -hmm. by a newer translation. You, You can't be saved apart from King James Bible. So they they would take passages of Scripture that speak of the Word of God having power to convert. Mm-hmm. You know, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So if you've got a Bible that's not the Word of God that hasn't been doubly inspired, then you can't be converted. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so these are extreme views, right. but it's out there, um, and we're sharing it maybe to help people understand. Right, which is, for me, you know, looking at it, Kind of crazy to think, you know, English wasn't the primary language. Yeah. It wasn't even the language Jesus spoke. Yeah. So would they, you know, could you, how can you hold that and say, well, people were saved under Jesus and he didn't speak English. Yeah. And, you know, just, I don't know. I see so many things there. But again, well, see, you, you don't, you don't, you're, see, you don't even know that Jesus went to Wednesday night prayer meeting either. You didn't no, know that. No. <laughs> was it at six o'clock right after a family dinner? That's a lot right. of what's going on is kind of reading culture and uh, oh, 1950s American culture on placing it onto Jesus and 
the Bible. So. Right. Well, um, another thing that you said uh, somewhere along the lines of God never said that there would be one superior English translation. So what was your point there? Uh, how can that help the average person sitting out there after hearing everything we just mentioned? Yeah. How does how is that helpful for our church? Yeah, so we um, that helps me that I don't have to live under this guilt when these attacks come or when criticism comes or somebody makes me feel less than because I've got the real translation, you know, I've got the real Bible. You know, I try to be a biblicist. I try to go to the Bible and like, what does God say about this? Where has he left me? You know, what has he given me? So you can see even evidence in the Bible of the use of Bible translations. Mm-hmm. Nehemiah chapter 8, I mentioned a teaching session, but the people of God have been in captive in Babylon. They come back to Jerusalem. The priest, uh, the scribes, open up the scrolls to read the Word of God. They have a worship service after they finish their construction project, right? They've been building the wall, rebuilding the walls of the city. So the city's been physically built, Nehemiah 1 through 7. Now it's time, Nehemiah 8 and following, for spiritual rebuilding of the people. So they read the Word of God, and it says, then they gave them the meaning. And what does that mean? The people didn't speak Hebrew. So it had to be translated into the language they had learned while in Babylon. And when it was translated, then they were convicted, made aware of their sin. Like, oh man, we've been in captivity all these years because we violated the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And then that's when they get the admonition, listen, this needs to be a day of rejoicing. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. That's right. So, um, so you know, I just try to make the Word of God my standard. Like, if, if somebody's coming up to me and saying you're not using the right Bible translation, you're an error, and they're nitpicking over synonyms and words, I got to ask, okay, is this person the authority for my life, or is the Word of God the authority for my life? I mean, I, I've really had to settle that as a pastor because I get opinions every week on stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, and people actually use the Bible, you know, sometimes to try to, so I, so I have to be faithful. And I have to really be conscientious. What does God's word say? So for me, I don't see it in the word of God that there's going to be a su- superior translation of the Bible in um, different languages one day. Right. And so I don't see reading the Bible over and over again every year. I don't find that. Now, we do bring in some history to learn, okay, how are these manuscripts gathered? What is, and we bring in, you know, kind of science, if you will, methodologies. How are they translated? We use the, the sense God's given us, but we don't have to live in this false bondage. And we go back to the Word of God. You don't see a promise that there will be a superior translation one day. Also, you see translations being used to help God's people understand the Word of God. I dare say there could have been some there that day in Nehemiah's day who would have said, bless God, they need to learn the Hebrew. This ain't the real right. word of God. This is, this is Nebuchadnezzar's language. They need, to, they need to learn how to read the real Bible. That's right. And the priests knew the people need to understand it. Mm-hmm. Understanding God's words, what's important. Right. And that's the final question, I guess, statement. Um, 
kind of jot it down that we pro- probably need to learn to treasure translations more than we steadily debate. I mm. think of someone like John Wycliffe who gave his life yeah. so that we, the common man can have scripture and at the start of something great, how God worked there during his era. Uh, I guess give the final plea to the person listening or watching um, why we should treasure translations instead of always looking to get in debates about translations. Yeah. I think it all comes down to transformation. Mm. You know, it's by understanding God's Word that you're changed. The mind is transformed, Romans 12, 1 through 2. The heart is affected, and the soul is impacted when you understand the Word of God. It's living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. I remember having a friend one time, and we were in an association of churches where there was a few pastors very strong on the King James only and would not fellowship with those who weren't. These were Southern Baptist churches. And I remember a pastor friend saying, I just don't understand why I, my, why I and my people and I, speaking of his church, can't have a Bible that we really understand. I can't understand why they can't see that our youth need to be able to understand God's Word. That really helped me because, you know, I'll be honest, I can understand the King James really well. Mm-hmm. I really like it. I've read, I've read, I've, I've read it a lot, mm-hmm. you know, uh, sat under preaching that was out of King James, heard it from a young age. There's a lot of things I like about it. But if I put it in front of one of my kids or if I start to read it in front of my kids, it's like, what are you even talking about? Like, what is that? What is, is that the Bible? Mm-hmm. You know, and so we understand that people need to understand the Word of God, and that's what's so important here. That doesn't mean that we just blow with the wind and everything's cool and right. just say whatever you want to say. You come up with some crazy rendering that you like. You know, you got to be faithful to the text. And um, you know, so 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 be faithful to the text, but at the same time realize people need to understand God's word, and you can do that. You can produce translations that people understand that are still faithful to the text. See it on the mission field all the time because yeah. you have to. If they don't have it in their language, yeah. hello, what we're we going to do? Yeah. Teach them English in order to share the gospel. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, and so um, absolutely. Well, hope you've enjoyed this. Learn something uh, from it. We appreciate you tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today for our discussion on Basic Doctrine of the Bible. Stay current with other episodes by subscribing to our podcast. For show notes, visit us online at basicdiscipleship.net. If you have any questions about the materials presented in this discussion, or if you would like to give feedback, email us at info at basicdiscipleship.net. Thanks for listening.